0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God or the world? The choice, Christ or culture for us? We can choose Christ. Thank you for the singing, and our hearts now ready to receive the Word of God. The book of James. We are finishing the book of James tonight. (laughs) Some of you before the service told me how grateful you are that we're finishing James, uh, because James has a way of just getting right down to where we live and uh, messing with some of our priorities and the way we run life and some of our selfishness. And... uh, I. I want you to know how you've encouraged me, though, with your response to the book of James. Uh, as you know, I came to this church preaching verse by verse because I believe that's how you grow a people. Uh, I believe that if a people are ground in the Word of God, I think that'll take care of just about every problem in a church. If we just get in the Word and stay in the Word. I think some things that have happened in the past, will not happen in the future if we get ground in the Word of God because you see the Word of God just kind of it kind of lets you know how, what you can do and what you can't do <laughs> how far out you would get and how, what you can't do a lot of things you see this cuts down on, the, on the, the junk in our lives and uh, when we get out of bounds the Word of God just won't let us the Word of God just won't let you act ugly uh, we, you know, and, and so the book of James, I think, is, has been the book that, that's kind of just come together for us. And we've realized the value of just what God's Word says and the difference it can make in our lives. And so I'm grateful for your response to this uh, very practical little book. And, and we're finishing up chapter 5. He's talking about meeting specific needs in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses or sins, the words amartias, sin, to one another... And pray for one another That ye may be healed The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much Elijah was a man with a nature like ours And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain And the earth produced its fruit Brethren, he's talking to Christians still If anyone among you wanders from the truth And someone turns him back Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I believe in these verses, James is talking about life's greatest privilege and life's greatest responsibility. Life's greatest privilege is simply prayer. The greatest thing you could ever do for anybody, anytime. The greatest thing you can do for God. The greatest thing you can do for yourself. The greatest thing you can do for your family, your loved ones The greatest thing you can do for your friends The greatest thing you can do for your church is to pray There is not anything any greater that we can ever be involved in than prayer And James talks about prayer throughout the book And he's closing this book by making a tremendous uh, emphasis upon prayer And the importance of prayer, the primacy of prayer uh, As it ought to be in our lives So prayer is so important You will never be, listen, you will never be in any circumstance in which prayer is not always the appropriate response. You just can't outdo prayer. You can't overdo prayer. You can't do too much of it. The heart of the Christian should just naturally turn toward God in prayer. When there's a decision to be made, when there is a crisis, when there is a misunderstanding, when there's a job to do, when there's an issue to confront, whatever it is, the heart of the Christian ought to just turn naturally toward God in prayer. When there's anything in my life that, that comes up, uh, I want to talk to my wife about it. I want, you know She's the one person I can just confide in and tell everything to. But how much more should I need to turn toward God And tell him instantly. Greater than that relationship between husband and wife is that relationship between God and his child. Closer than any relative could be is that relationship between the Christian and God. And so we're to turn toward God. James says the appropriate action is always to pray. And by the way, James is practicing what he preaches. It's appropriate for James to end this little book by talking about prayer. Because do you remember the nickname of James? What did they call James? Remember? Camel knees. The reason because he had so many calluses on his knees from praying. What a testimony. Should we have a knee contest tonight and see how we're doing? <laughs> oh, you know, I, every time we kneel at the altar and pray, I get convicted about how little time we spend on our knees because it's not too long I get to hurt. him. <laughs> James was called camel knees Now I didn't appreciate that nearly as much until I saw camels A few months ago And saw their knees And uh, he had terrible looking knees But if you're going to have to have terrible looking knees What a way to get there through prayer So he closes his book By talking about the importance of prayer And throughout the book He's talking about needs Uh, If you've got needs You get those needs met through prayer Mental needs James says if you need wisdom to ask for it Told us that in the very first chapter. If you need wisdom, ask God for wisdom. God wants to give you that wisdom. Spiritual needs, James says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss because you, you pray selfishly. But James says prayer is the key. Emotional needs, is any afflicted among you? Anybody really have troubles among you? And that word covers all troubles. Have you got any troubles? James says pray about it. Physical needs, James says the prayer of faith will, will raise the sick. Material needs Elijah called down rain After a long drought from heaven So James says Whatever need you have Prayer is the key to getting those needs met Now when do we pray James says first of all When you're in trouble Is any among you afflicted Says James That word afflicted is a general word It covers all kind of troubles When troubles come on every hand Trials we can't understand That's what he's talking about. He's talking about daily trials. He's talking about problems, difficulties in which you suffer because of those problems. Any of you have problems when you're in trouble, then you ought to pray. And the context tells us that, that the reason we have trouble can be because of our own sin. It can be because of the disciplined hand of God. Or it can be because God is trying to mature us and to grow us up. And he wants us to endure those trials patiently. So when we pray, God may remove the affliction or he may give us the grace to bear it. And he gives us the grace so that God can take those problems and use them to knock off the rough spots and to make us like himself. Now, uh, Paul is uh, an illustration of that, how God worked in his life and and, uh, didn't take away those afflictions. But he says, I'll give you the grace to bear it. Paul asked him three times. Paul wanted these afflictions gone. And I'm sure he impressed upon God a great case. I mean, he had to present a great case as to why these afflictions ought to be absent from his life. But God says, no, I'm going to give you grace to bear. You see, God was doing some things in Paul's life that he could not do except through the process of affliction. I think that's why many times we have problems in our lives is because God is making us like himself and he knows that, that these things have to be in our lives to keep us where he wants us. And so we didn't complain about it because God says, if I don't take it away, I'll give you the grace and the strength to bear it. Jesus, when he was in the garden, prayed, if there's any way, let this cup be removed from me. And God says, no, but I'll give you the strength to bear that burden, to drink that bitter cup. Now, if that's how God works in the life of Paul, if that's how he worked in the life of his son Jesus, then that's how he's going to work in our life. Usually, God wants us to patiently endure our troubles. He doesn't want to snatch us out of those troubles. He doesn't want us to live in an isolated world free from all kind of problems. He's never promised that. He wants us to patiently endure those troubles. God wants to transform our troubles into triumphs. That's what he wants to do. So we pray when we're in trouble. The second time to pray, he says, when things are great. (laughs) Now, most of you prayed when you got in trouble. In fact, you don't have any trouble praying when you're in trouble. You know, you you just want some relief. You want some help, you know. Uh, So most people can pray when, when they're in adversity. But how about praying when you're in prosperity? How about praying when things are absolutely wonderful? James says you ought not only pray when you're in trouble, but you ought to also pray when things are absolutely great. God is so good to us in that he balances our lives. He gives us some hours of suffering, and then he gives us some days of singing. Have you ever thought about that? You perhaps have had to suffer, but you suffered for a short period compared to your life. God has given you so many days free from suffering. He kind of balances it all out. But James says, when things are going great, that's the time to praise God, to sing psalms, to sing songs. And let, just praise God for who He is and what He's doing in your life and asking Him for wisdom to keep your life in the center of His will. So when things are wonderful, it's still a great time to pray and to praise God. That's why praise is a part of worship. We ought to just praise God. Just lift our hearts and praise, thanking God for His goodness and thanking God that things are well. That's the reason. I, you know, there's, there's something about the uh, the heart that's just a happy heart and a happy soul wants to see. And uh, even people like me who can't sing, I go around singing when things, you know, when I've just got a happy heart and a happy soul, and and uh, God is just so good, and and I'll go around singing. And uh, sometimes I get, you know, depressed and discouraged and, and uh, somebody upsets me and things aren't going well and I lose my song for a little while. And uh, I don't go around singing, you know, and then, and then I get the song back. Well, James is saying that when things are bad, when things are good, we really ought to pray. And that'll keep our heart right. That'll keep our eyes on God and that'll keep the song in our heart. The third thing he says is pray not only when you're in trouble, and pray not only when things are great, but he says, pray when you're sick. Is any, In verse 14, is any sick among you? Now this word sick means seriously sick. It means bedridden. It means incapacitated. In this particular case, it's talking about someone who is sick as a result of sin and disobedience. Now, we don't know the details. We just simply know the context and we know what's, what is implied there. But evidently, here was a church member who had gotten away from God, who had gotten into sin, and as a result, there was a serious sickness in his life. So, because of our sin, we can become sick. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Because of of your sinfulness, because of the immorality, because of what's going on in your life, some of you are sick and some of you are asleep. Some of you have already died. They died because of their disobedience to God. They committed the sin unto death. So James says when we're sick, we need to pray. Now in, in talking about praying for the sick, he gives some guidelines. And the first one is, he says, that the person who's sick is to take the initiative and call for the elders if you want the elders and when he talks about elders he's talking about the spiritual leaders of the church if you want them to come and pray for you then you take the initiative it's always shocked me and amazed me that that many intelligent Baptist people think that somehow God supernaturally tells the pastor and the staff when somebody gets in the hospital isn't that amazing that we come up with that and and when, when somebody asks you, did you know so and so is sick in the hospital, they always look at you as, I can't believe you didn't know that. Well, the initiative is not to be from the staff, the initiative is to be from the sick people. They're to call and request. Now, that's what the Bible says. They're to take the initiative. They're to call and say, Come pray with me. Come help me. I've been preaching 25 years. I imagine in 25 years, I've had somebody call me and ask me to come to see them, probably. This many times being liberal. I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times I've gone. But how many times have people asked me to come? You know, people have needs. But you don't know about those needs. You know, and so James says, you're to take finished it. You're to call for the elders of the church and ask them to come, the spiritual leaders of the church. Uh, Now, in this case, he's a brother who has gotten away from God and he is the one to take the initiative. He's sick because of his own sin, because of his own disobedience. Yet he still takes the initiative and he calls for the leaders to come help him get straightened out. Now... How many times in 25 years have I had a church member call and say, listen, I'm not right with God. i got sin in my life and I'm having all these problems. Would you come pray to me? I need to get right with God. How many times has somebody told me that? I don't even remember anybody ever telling me that. I might have a coronary. I don't know what happened to me. If somebody called and said, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I need you to come to my house and see if I can get straight with God. The reason I've got all these problems in my life, the reason I'm in the mess I'm in, the reason I haven't been out of church is because I've got sin in my life. Can you help me? Folks, I'd break the speed limit getting to your house. He's saying we're to take the initiative. The person who has the problem because nobody else has... ESP. We're not able to, to know what those needs are. And you're the one that knows those needs. So take the initiative and call for spiritual leaders. The second thing he says, you have the elders when they come do two things. Anoint with oil and pray. Now this word anoint is a medicinal word. And uh, it... It actually, it was the same word in, in extra-biblical materials that, that was uh, used for scrubbing something or for plastering a wall. Uh, the word could be translated massage. Uh, in that day, oil was such a healing element. Uh, they, they used oil for basically all kinds of, of wounds and sicknesses. Uh, oil has always been medicinal to a degree. So this word anoint... Uh, when you actually look at the word, it's, talking, it's saying to rub something into the skin. It's a medical term. Now, because it's this word, many scholars look at this passage as not talking about ceremonial anointing. It's talking about medicine. The Good Samaritan poured oil and wine in the wounds of the wounded traveler. The oil was the medicine. So there are many, many scholars who believe that what this passage is teaching is that when somebody is sick, you need the best of medical help plus prayer. You always need prayer. There is never a time when it is not appropriate to pray. But with that, you have the medical help. And I praise God for medical science. I praise God for our doctors and our nurses and those who give themselves to, uh, to meeting those physical needs in the lives of people. And uh, I just cannot understand how some people uh, believe that we just ought to let, you know, uh, let God take care of it and, and we'll not see a doctor. Uh, Paul carried Dr. Luke with him. Uh, the Bible, the New Testament just does not give any credibility to that kind of thinking. We ought to take advantage of, of medical science. So, uh, this may mean simply that, that we work together as a team. Uh, the medical community and prayer and the power of God. And I tell you, uh, God, when I pray for these people in surgery, uh, it doesn't matter to me if the, if the doctor is a pagan. If he's a good doctor, I've got the kind of God that can put thoughts in a pagan doctor's mind and tell him exactly what to do to correct that problem. See, God's, God is not limited. God can work through anything, anywhere. Now, I think it's, it's extra special when the doctor is a Christian. And I've been, in, I've been in the hospital room here in, in Shreveport and Bozier where the doctor prayed with a patient before surgery. And I got, I got chill bumps on top of chill bumps. I mean, I, that was just so special to, to, to realize that we had men of that kind of faith and uh, who would be willing to do that. You see, that's called swollen pride. You know, you're no big deal. You're just like anybody else, a sinner saved by grace, and you recognize that God is one who has all power and the confidence that that gives to that patient. Well, so it may be that that's what James is saying, is that when somebody's sick, you need the best of medicine. And he's talking about the anointing of oil. He may be talking about antibiotics. Or if if you want to believe it's ceremonial, I have no problem with that either. Uh, I I have gone to homes when they requested, when somebody was seriously ill, and and I've taken deacons, and we've surrounded the bed, and we've prayed for a a person's healing, and and we've taken oil, and we've anointed them with with oil. Uh, Not... uh, for medicinal but for ceremonial reasons uh, as a point of contact to maybe increase their faith and to help that person because they requested that. And I had no trouble doing that. But it may well be because of what the word means that what he's talking about is medicine along with prayer. So he says, we're to pray when we're sick and the three things we're to do is to take the initiative and call for the spiritual elders and then anoint with oil and to pray for their healing. And notice the phrase he says in the name of the Lord now that means in accordance with the will of the Lord when you see the name of the Lord and the will of the Lord they're always synonymous they work hand in hand they are one and the same so whatever the situation is the bottom line is we have to trust God and we invoke God's will in this situation God who can see around the curve. God who can see the future. God who knows everything. We invoke His will on this situation. And then we leave the specifics to God. We don't try to play God. We don't tell God how to do it. We do what we can. We go. We pray. Get good doctors. And then leave the results, the specifics, up to God. And to God's perfect will. And I think you always have to leave room for that. Because God has the final word. Now let me give you some personal illustrations. When I pastored in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I remember three families. That had terminal ill. Members of that family. A member of the family was terminally ill. And all three families. It was a relatively young person. One man was a, a, a chiropractic doctor, chiropractor. Uh, the other was a young wife. The other was a child. All had been diagnosed. The doctor said they'd only live a matter of months. I saw all three of those families leave our church and go to the charismatic church and join the charismatic church. I want you to know in my heart, I did not blame them at all. I felt for them. I did not know but that if I were in their situation that I would have done exactly the same thing. They were desperate. They were looking anywhere for hope. And they went to a group of people who promised them that hope and they had some healing services and they claimed the healing of all three of these people. When I went back in the home to see them, they told me that they knew that God had healed them. The sad part of the story is that all three died. I went to the funeral of a couple of them, and the family said to me at the funeral, You know, they, they felt bad because they'd left our church. And I said, Don't feel that way at all. I understand. I don't blame you for seeking any ray of hope, any possibility for reaching out. But you see, you have to understand that it is not the will of God to heal everybody. Another illustration that I've never told, I don't know that anybody knows this story I think Brother Abels knows it. We had a young man in our church in Spartanburg, in his early 30s, who had been on a church staff, minister of music, and the church had some problems, and and he'd he'd come to our city to take a secular job. And uh, he was involved in our church. He led the music when Brother Abels was out of town. Precious families, children involved in church could quote scripture. He, went, he had a stomach problem. He went to the doctor. He was a good friend of mine. And the doctor told me, I think actually before he told the man, that he had cancer all in him. It was a traumatic thing. A young minister. So much talent. A precious little family. Cancer. The doctor said, I doubt he'll be alive six months from now. Well, we prayed for him and one day he called me to come to his home. I went to his home and sat in his den and he said, preacher, I've got to tell you something. He said, we've been a member of your church now for I guess a year and a half or more and we've loved it. It's a wonderful church. And you've given us every opportunity. But he said, preacher, we have never given one dime to the church. And God has just broken my heart that that's a terrible sin in my life. And that may be a big part of my problem. I said, Tom, I understand that, that you... you, know, you, you you lost the church you were in and you came here and had to take a secular job? He said, no, no. I am making more money than I've ever made in my life. And we've taken a lot from that church, but we've never given one dime. But he said, I want to straighten it out. I want to repent. I want to tell God I'm sorry in your presence. I want you to be a witness. We got down on our knees in his den and he prayed Told God he was sorry. He repented. He immediately began to get better. The next time he went for x-rays, the doctors could find no trace of cancer. None. They couldn't explain it. Tom claimed that he was totally, completely healed. He left our city and moved to Augusta, Georgia, where my daddy pastor's. And I got my dad to hire him at his church to be the minister of music. Daddy hired him on my recommendation. Tom seemed to be in good health. Everything was fine. About six months later, dad said to me, said, son, let me ask you something. He said, what's that? He said, "Uh, one of my men mentioned that I treasure that Tom... Has never given anything to the church. Tom was there about a year. He never gave one dime to that church. He took a salary from it. He had a secular job. His wife worked. Not one dime to the church. A few months later, he became ill again. They did the test. They found he was eaten up with cancer. A few months later, he was dead. I'm not going to play God in his life. I'm not going to judge. But it seemed like his sickness was because of his sin. And God gave him an incredible opportunity. A new start and a new beginning and a miracle. But selfishness had such a hold on his life that he went right back to that sin. And it cost him his life. Now, that's what James is teaching about sin and sickness. He's saying that our sickness can be a result of sin, but it doesn't have to be a result of sin. But when we do get sick, we ought to ask ourselves, we ought to look deep within. The first thing we ought to do is talk to God in prayer and see if there is any reason within us that we're having the problems that we're having. Now, let me tell you what I believe. And these are my beliefs. I will not try to force them on you in any way. I believe in divine healing. But not in divine healers. And I have tried. I have gone to some healing services. I went to Catherine Kuhmann's service when I was having some physical problems. And I prayed for two, three days before I went that God would give me a totally open mind and I would ask God for a miracle of healing. I went to a Richard Roberts service. I believe in divine healing, but I do not believe in divine healers. I believe in faith healing, but I do not believe in faith healers. You don't need any more than Jesus anytime. Original sin produces in mankind sickness and death. That's the curse of sin. There's no way to get around it. The curse of sin, original sin, produces in mankind sickness and death. Sometimes there is a direct link between personal sickness and personal sin. Sometimes there is no connection between personal sin and sickness. A person can be sick and it have absolutely not one thing to do with sin or disobedience. It is not God's will that everybody be healed. Paul had the gift of healing. Epaphroditus was sick and Paul couldn't do anything about it. Seriously sick. Trophimus. He had to leave behind because he was sick. God did not heal everybody in the Bible. And he's not healing everybody today. I do not believe that healing is in the atonement. Physical healing. That passage in Isaiah that by his stripes we're healed, that whole context is talking about spiritual healing. I do not think that all of our sicknesses have already been healed, taken care of, if we would just claim it, there's not any need for us to ever be sick. I do not believe that because the sin curse world and a part of the sin is sickness and death. If sin were the only reason for sickness, all you'd have to do to get well anytime would be to confess your sin. You could be healed of anything, anytime, anywhere, any place if you confessed your sin. If sin was the only reason for sickness. Now, we, whatever your theology, whatever your belief, you have to leave room that usually God will heal by His own plan using Time for recuperation you know many things we go to the doctor for uh, we give the doctor credit for it. it's just time that got us well it's like I went to the doctor with, a, with an ulcer on my, uh, in my throat on my tonsils and he says I can uh, burn that thing off and it'll take you about 8-10 days to, for it to get well or I am just let it alone and in about 8-10 days it'll get well So I think there's a lot of that. It's just like a cold. I mean, it's just going to be a matter of days till you're going to get over it. And you can take all these things, but you might have gotten over it anyway. See, I believe in healing because I've been healed of a lot of things. I keep getting over all kinds of things. You do too. I've had many healings. God will heal a few people instantly, Dramatically and he can do it. My friend, there's not anything God can't do. There's not any case too difficult for God. God specializes in the impossible. God can heal anybody of anything, anytime. I believe in absolute miracles, divine miracles. Nothing is beyond the power of God. But most of the time, they're going to get well in the normal procedure of recuperation. And the normal taking of medicine and getting help. Also, you've got to leave room for the fact that some are going to die. You can pray to your blue in the face. You can get the best doctors in the country, and sometimes they're just going to die. I was at the funeral home this afternoon. A man, fifty-five years old, the brother of one of our members, uh, brother John Webb's brother, was having a heart catheterization and died. And. Uh, she was talking about the doctor calling and crying, saying, you know, could I have done anything to, to have prevented this? The family said, no. no, It was just one of those things. It, it, it happened. So some are going to die regardless. And some will have to live with the illness. They're not going to ever get well. And they're going to be an example to victory in the midst of suffering. So whatever your theology is, you have to leave room for those things. Not everybody's going to be healed. Some will be healed dramatically. Some are going to die. Some are going to keep the illness. Now, then he gives in verse 17 and 18 an example of prayer. And you didn't listen fast enough, my time's past gone. So let me just mention that that he uses Elijah as an example of prayer. Here's a righteous man. And when a righteous man prays, it releases that power. And uh, he is an illustration of prayer power. When he, uh, stopped the, when he called down fire from heaven and uh, he stopped the rain and then uh, they went three years and six months and then he called for the rain to come out of the heavens. But now, here's what he said. James says, Elijah is a man just like you and me. Now, why did he say that? Because when you talk about a man like Elijah, we say, sure, he was a great prophet of God. Yes, I can expect miracles out of Elijah, but we're talking about me, my prayers. James says, Elijah is just like you. He's just like me. He's a man of similar passions. He's a human. He's imperfect. He's a sinner. He did not see miracles because he was perfect, because he was above sin, no. In fact, after he met there on Mount Carmel and he had that great victory and called down fire from heaven, Ahab, Jezebel, he started running, he got depressed, he got discouraged, he wanted to die. Just like you and me, sinful, imperfect. What James is saying is, you can have the same kind of prayer life that Elijah had God can work in your life, just like he worked in Elijah's life. God can work in your life and in my life, the same way it is no harder or easier for you to be a person of prayer than it is for me to be a person of prayer, or for Elijah. The same possibility is open for all. And then he closes the book by talking about life's greatest responsibility. And I wish we had time to develop this because I think this is an area where we, we are weak in our churches today. I think it's an area where we're weak, weak in our own church. And that is our greatest responsibility are in two areas, discipleship and evangelism. And he's, he's talking about a person who has gone away, who has gotten in the era, who has gotten out of the will of God. This person needs to be restored. He has wandered away from revealed truth. James says we need to bring that person back. He's talking about a believer. He's talking about a Christian. He's talking about a church member who's gotten sidetracked, who's gotten off to the side, who is living in disobedience to God. What do you do for that person? You get him turned back around toward God. How do you do it? Very, very carefully. James would say you do it depending on the Holy Spirit. You let the Holy Spirit lead you to go talk to that person. Don't go in the flesh. Don't go on your own. You go with gentleness. You go with gentleness. You go with humility, realizing that it could be you the next time. Realizing that you're not any different from that person who's gotten away in sin. You're what you are because of the grace of God. So you go in an attitude of gentleness and, and of humility. And James says the result is that straying soul will be brought back around and saved from death. Now he could mean by that that this person, because of his sin and disobedience, is sick He's going to get sick and going to die and because you go out there and restore him you go claim him, you get him turned back around, you save him from dying. You save his soul from death. Well, and then he says a multitude of sins are covered. When a man is out there living in disobedience, the way to get right back with God is got to confess those sins. Get rid of those sins and get back into fellowship with God. So that covers a multitude of sins. Now that's the that's the primary application of this, these verses. But the secondary application is also evangelism. There is not a greater opportunity or responsibility than for you and me to reach out to that person who knows not Christ and to try to turn them toward Jesus. And when you get them turned toward Jesus, their soul is saved from hell and their sins are forgiven and in this life you will never ever touch anything any more important no matter what you do in life your greatest responsibility is in discipleship Restoring that one who's gotten away, getting him turned back toward God, helping him back toward God, helping others to grow toward God, and in reaching other people for Christ, saving them from hell, getting their sins forgiven. That's the greatest thing we'll ever do in this life. What's our greatest privilege? To pray. What's our greatest responsibility? Evangelism and discipleship. Helping people get to heaven helping people become like Jesus on their way to heaven, touching lives for his glory. Let's pray. Father, make us aware of our privilege and our responsibilities. We who have so much, there is so much required of us give us a burden for people, a concern for others. Those who are hurting, those who've wandered away, those who've gotten off into sin, may we never ostracize them, may we never isolate ourselves from them. May we reach out to them in love. May we try to turn them back toward you. And those who've never known you, may we do everything we can to turn them toward you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together across the building? We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com, where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.